Welcome to the Stutter Block Party Podcast. In this series, we'll speak to people from all over the world and talk about their journey with stuttering and just get to know them a little bit better. I hope you enjoy this podcast and happy listening. Hello, everyone. This is Kevin again. I'm back with Stutter Block Party Podcast and I have Derek Daniels and um, Derek Daniels is a professor in speech language pathology and um, there were there was a there was a like a different talk that I that I saw that that he gave on zoom and it was really it was really great and I I actually really wanted to uh, uh, interview him for SBP podcast thanks Derek for coming coming on the podcast thank you Um, I'm glad to be here yeah so usually I ask so did, did you did you uh, stutter ever since you started talking, like as a little kid or something like that? Yes, I started stuttering. I can remember stuttering ever since I started to talk. So I guess my earliest memory of stuttering was probably when I was around four years old. And my stuttering has definitely changed over time. Um, you know, there are days where I stutter more than others, um, but I think in terms of how long I've been stuttering, I've been stuttering ever since I can remember talking. Do you stutter a lot less now than when you were as a kid? Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, I think my stuttering has definitely changed since I was a little kid. Um, But I think also part of the reason why my stuttering changed over time was because I let go of a lot of the fear that I had attached to my stuttering and I let go of a lot of the judgment other people had towards me because I stuttered. So I think that was, that's part of the reason. Also, I think as you know, stuttering has both, um, it has both overt and covert components to it. So, I mean, there are definitely days now where I have a lot of overt stuttering in uh, my speech. Um, So some days certainly it it varies by the, uh, by the, by the day. But also, I think stuttering has a large covert piece too. So, you know, a lot of times a person might anticipate that they might stutter and it never really shows up overtly in their speech. So I do have a lot of moments where I feel like I might stutter, but it never, you know, translates to where a person might hear it. How did you get to that point where you could let go of, you were saying like, like fears of of fears of what of uh, of of what people would think of you and um like like being 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 more uh, accepting being more accepting of your stutter and everything like like how did you uh, get to that get to that uh, point <laughs> you know it's a process and i think what i'll say i'll sort of tell you a little story um but i think you know i never really knew anything about speech language pathology so my story is a little bit different than a lot of people's stories because I never had speech therapy when I was growing up. So all throughout my um, elementary school, middle school and high school, I never saw a speech language pathologist. So a lot of what I did were just my own self-taught tricks of the trade. And even when I was in college, I went to uh, Grinnell College. It's a small private liberal arts school in Iowa. And there I still struggled with talking and at the end of um, my program, I, f- I learned about speech language pathology. And so 
I made a shift in my career and then ended up going into a master's program at the University of Houston. But that I think is where the turning point was because number one, I was around other people, meaning my professors and my classmates who really were able to reinforce me differently. Reinforcing, what I mean by that is, I really began to accept myself more as a person who stutters and my identity as a person who stutters. But what helped with that was there was a book um, that, which may still be around. It's called How to Conquer Your Fear of Speaking Before People. It was written by John Harrison and it was a, like a public oh, speaking manual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he gives really, he gives two um, good scenarios in there that sort of changed me. The first one was imagine, and I'm paraphrasing, but imagine if a person is giving a graduation speech and they all of a sudden forget part of the speech and they stop talking and they um, they just sort of pause and the audience is nervous and the audience is on edge because the speaker is on edge. That was sort of one scenario. And the second one was, imagine if there's an actor who's he's acting and he flubs his lines, he makes a joke about it and then he continues. Well, everyone around him is comfortable because he's comfortable. So the whole point of all this is that people react to you the way you feel about yourself. And that was something I never really thought about until I read those two scenarios in John Harrison's book. And so I think that was sort of the turning point for beginning to just accept myself as a person who stutters. And th that's this is also where I found um, and the National Stuttering Association, I was initially part of the Houston chapter. So I think all of those things together sort of played into my um, self-acceptance. Okay. Um, yeah, John, John, John Harrison sort of lives, I mean, he sort of lives lo lo local to me about uh, maybe, maybe, maybe one, one, one hour away. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and he, he, he had some, uh it seems like john harrison sometimes does have like like free um like yeah yeah like 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 speech wor workshops and so he said the he said the the main thing about having good speech is like having fun like having fun during your speech um did you ever hear that or do 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 do, do you also think that's do you also think that's a uh, true true or? <laughs> you know it's, it's not something i really thought about myself having fun with my speech, but I certainly think you have to have, you know, you, um, you know, I think it varies by person. I think everybody will approach it uh, differently, but I certainly think you have to learn to be okay with yourself. I think that's the main thing. So if that means having fun with your speech, that certainly is an option for some people, but I think the main thing ultimately is just being okay with yourself and who you are. And I think the journey towards that is certainly different for everyone. Um, but yeah, I mean, that book was certainly part of my journey to change. I also wanted to ask you since, 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 since you're a SLP professor and you were talking about how um, do, during your master's was when you, it's like, it like, it like, like a time period for a big, for a big change for you about how how you viewed your stuttering so like so for like so for like masters um so for masters masters slp students and 
PhD um, candidates, like, what do you look for? You know, like so someone, someone who wants to get a master's in SLP or PhD, like, like what are good qualities, you know, of, of someone who wants to get those of those things. <laughs> okay, well, um, are you speaking just in general or specifically for speech pathology? So, someone who wants to be a speech uh, th therap therapist. <laughs> you know, I think ultimately it comes down to having um, a passion for helping others. I mean, the field of speech language pathology, our overall goal is to help improve the quality of life for the people who we work with. So I think if you have a passion for wanting to help others, then I think that's really the biggest quality. But certainly for people who are applying to programs, like for master's programs, you know, certainly you have to um, go through your undergraduate um, degree or your post-bachelor's degree. You have to certainly do well in your courses. Um, and you have to learn all that you can about the profession. Um, you know, but I think a good candidate is a candidate who is willing to work hard. Um, they're willing to put the time in. Graduate school is very rigorous. And also you just have a passion for wanting to improve the lives of people who you work with. Um, at the, and I think at the PhD level, that's really um, typically more about research. So people who wanna get PhDs typically um, have um, a passion for wanting to, um, contribute to the field through research and uh, academic teaching. I mean, certainly not everybody who has a PhD goes into the university setting, but I think for a PhD degree, certainly it's about wanting to um, sort of grow and enhance your research skills and your teaching skills. Because like there's a, some of people who stutter I've talked to who have, have gotten, gotten speech therapy and maybe the, maybe the therapist doesn't have a lot of a lot of experience treating someone with a stutter and maybe the therapist is like the therapist like number one goal is is trying trying to trying to not trying trying to have the uh client like stutter less but then the the, the therapist that doesn't doesn't spend any 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 time on the on the mental on the mental side like 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 uh like uh self acceptance and all that um have you I guess have you um, have you run into speech therapists who you know like is spending too much time on just like I don't know teaching the person techniques to stutter less, but but not but not spending but not really spending a, a lot of time on the men mental mental side. Or? Yeah, you know I think um, training. Um, so um, the training for speech language pathologists in stuttering you know, hasn't always been what it should be. And so I think many times, you know, the therapists are probably doing what they were trained to do when they were in school. And as you know, um, clinical practice and what we know from research certainly evolves over time. So I think a lot of what I do is try and whenever I can give professional development uh, workshops at the local or, you know, national level. And I think that certainly helps with that. Um, you know, I think people who work in the schools and other practice areas are doing the best that they can, but we constantly need to be evolving and updating what we know about the people we work with. So yes, I have um, encountered therapists who only 
who just do just what you said, but I think um, through um, their own continuing education, they hopefully learn to do it differently. Yeah. Um, and also I should say, it also depends on the client's needs too. You know, like, yeah. I mean, every person who comes to the therapy table needs something different. So you yeah. really wanna match what you're doing to the needs of what the person needs. Yeah, and also if the, uh, there's also there's also times where like the, the client is a kid and the, you know, the parent, you know, the parent is really, the, the parent like number one thing is just, just to have the kid stutter less while maybe, maybe this is like a pretty good therapist for stuttering who, you know, feels that the kid needs to work on the mental side as well. But then, you know, but then maybe like the therapist and the parent like start butting heads because the parent doesn't care about the mental side. The parent just wants the kids to stutter less. Like, have, have you seen that? <laughs> you know, I've seen that uh, maybe a few times, but again, I think that just comes down to education. You know, it just, it just really comes down to a really healthy discussion between the therapist and the parent over what is realistic um, about stuttering therapy. And, um, you know, the more that you try and make someone do something that's not realistic, the more problems you run into. So I, I really just think it has to be a, just a really healthy discussion between the therapist and the parent. And sometimes those yeah. don't go well. Sometimes it takes time. But, you know, I, I'm, certainly what you say is common. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, there was this uh, like a like a smaller um, like a smaller N NSA conference I went to where the, there was this there's this dad who stood up and talked about his daughter and like his dad at first, you know, wanted her to get therapy, like just to, um, you know, what well, his dad wanted, wanted, his dad was trying to be like very, very pr pr practical and like was trying to get her to do therapy to start her lesson. I don't know, maybe the therapy helped, 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 helped a little bit, but, but still, the, the, the daughter kept kept stuttering and um you know the dad just just kept kept putting t t tons of pressure on his daughter but then later he found out that his daughter like you know really enjoyed being an nsa and was like felt she felt a better path was to 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 be to be fine with her stuttering and being okay and everything and so um, yeah, so that dad, that dad talked about, talked about how, yeah, after a couple of years, he, he, he realized, uh, he realized that his, his stance, you know, his stance maybe wasn't, wasn't the best for his daughter and everything. So I think, I think sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes with, maybe sometimes with, with, with par par parents, with parents, it, it takes a long time. I mean, this dad was saying how it, it took him like se several, several years, you know, to, to get to the point realizing that, um, that like sometimes, uh, so, so, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's not that easy to get rid of stuttering and everything. And it's also important to, to be, 
to be to be fine with your stutter yeah yeah and, um, you know i think parents just want the best for their children and i think it's important to understand that parents also go through their own journey as well you know yeah. and so it's very important for these stories to be told um it's important to connect parents to um, support groups so that they can connect to other parents you know the national stuttering association the friends you know those are all really great um places to connect parents so that we can meet other parents but you know i think the more we tell those stories um then i think the more that will change over time uh yeah so you, you you're a college professor so how, how much time how much do you, time do you spend as a professor versus uh pr providing providing a speech speech therapy or yeah yeah so you know i am um I, so most of what I do is, you know, I certainly, I teach students, um, undergraduate and graduate students. I do research, but I still do some clinical work too through my university. So I do clinical supervision of the uh, master's students as they work um, with people who stutter. So um, it's probably, um, I don't know, it's hard, maybe about 20% of my job, I'm, I'm guessing, is probably clinical supervision. And then I also um, am part of the clinical um, training team at Camp Shoutout. So for those of you who don't know Camp Shoutout, um, it's, um, it's done out of, it's in um, Holton, Michigan on Big Blue Lake. You can just Google Camp Shoutout, but it's yeah. for youth who stutter ages eight to 18. And so uh, graduate students and speech language pathologists can come and get experience working uh, with the campers who stutter. So I'm also part of the um, leadership training team or the clinical training team um, there too. So I think it's important for me to stay active clinically. So even though most of my job at the university involves advising and teaching and research, you're right, I do do some clinical work through my university and do some clinical work through Camp Shoutout. Do you still, still have clients or, or is the clinical mostly supervising like, like stu students? Oh, well, yeah, I guess <laughs> I still consider, I mean, even though I supervise the students as they work with the clients, I still consider them to be my clients. So, you oh. know, and I also <laughs> still work with them directly too. So, I mean, sometimes, you know, it's just me watching, um, I guess, you know, it's really more than just watching, you know, like <laughs> I'm mentoring the students as they work with the clients who stutter, but yeah. I also do direct work with them myself. So um, yeah, um, hard to really separate that out. But um, because <laughs> even though I'm not working with them directly 100% of the time, they're still under my care, so to speak. When you started your master's program was, was during the same time where you where you had had like a large um, mental 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 shift about your stuttering and and um, and being uh, accepting of it, could, could you could you talk more about how? Or actually, actually, uh, let me back up a little bit. Well, you, you, you said like your your bachelor, your bachelor, your senior year, or, or your, I guess your last year, your last year was when you, was when you when you heard about um, be, be, being a being a speech language pathologist. So how how do you how do you hear about it toward 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 the end of your of your bachelor's. Yeah, so the school that I went to um, did not have speech language pathology. So, you know, during my undergraduate um, years, I still struggled a lot with oral presentations 
And it was still hard for me to talk in front of my classmates and not feel embarrassed about my stuttering. So yeah. I initially wanted to be a medical doctor. So oh. I was taking a whole lot of hard science classes and I wasn't doing well in them. Actually, I started out as a chemistry major and a sociology major. I was a double major. And I eventually dropped the chemistry major because I wasn't doing well in my science classes. And so I, I finished out with uh, sociology, which actually was the best thing for me because a lot of my research comes from a sociological perspective. But anyway, um, there was a friend of mine who said, you know, I think you, because I, was, I needed to do something different because I didn't think I was gonna get into medical school. And he said, yeah. Yeah, I think you want to try maybe speech pathology. And I was like, oh, is that a thing? <laughs> I didn't know. So I remember going to the career development office. And I remember going, this is when the internet was first becoming a thing. And I remember just researching, um, I think I typed in stuttering or something. And I was just surprised at like what was popping up. Like I didn't even realize there was a profession for um speech language pathology. So I ended up applying to the University of Houston and that's how I that's how that whole thing started. But yeah, it just started because someone just made the suggestion that I try it and I was like, "Oh, I didn't even realize that was an option." Yeah. And then and then d d during d during your masters, how um h how did your masters prog program g g give you that mental shift of being more fine with your stutter? You know, I think it's just the fact that you're in a space that reinforces you for who you are. And it's not like I didn't have that before on some level, but it was a space that really reinforced and validated the fact that stuttering was okay. Um, I think that's really what it was. Um, you know, I did for to, I did. I said that, that I, I, I never had therapy, but actually I did, before I entered my, entered my program, I did do two um, months of therapy prior to entering my master's program. So I was a client for one of the graduate students there. And that really gave me confidence because I was doing things like um, mock presentations and that really helped to boost my confidence. But, you know, I think it's just the idea that you're in a space that is very sensitive to the fact that you stutter and you have multiple episodes of that being reinforced then I think that change changes you and then and then so and then so why why did you keep going on um, with a PhD <laughs> yeah for a couple of reasons first I think that um, the first reason I'll, I'll give you is that when I look at my family so I look at my um, you know there are opportunities that are afforded to me now are not afforded to my grandparents and my great-grandparents. You know, my dad's mother, my grandmother, you know, she received her uh, the bachelor's. She, she, she received a college degree back in 1937, which was really um, imp impressive. And yeah. I just look at the fact that, um, you know, I always wanted to go on for a higher degree simply because I felt like, um, I had I have opportunities to me available that are available to me now that weren't available to um, my grandparents, my great grandparents. So that was one reason. The second reason is I really love research. Like when I was in my master's program, I did a master's thesis, 
And I really enjoyed the process of coming up with, because I'm, I'm a very curious person. I have a very, very curious mind. I think to be a researcher, if you have curiosity, that's the first step. And so I did um, a, a master's thesis. So I like the idea of coming up with the question, being able to read everything that I can about that question, being able to design a project um, and address it, and then being able to write it up and publish it. It's just, it was just really fun for me to do. And, um, you know, I certainly enjoy, because after I graduated from my master's program, I did work in the school district for about a year and a half. But I think academia is a better fit for me because I really like the variety. So I like doing research. I like being plugged into a network of researchers. I like talking about research ideas and I like doing studies. So the academic environment seemed to be the best fit for me. I like teaching and mentoring students. And I do, I do get to do a little bit of clinical work as well. So I think there's just a lot of variety in the university setting that I really enjoy. But yeah, I just think the process of research and being able to, you know, explore my curiosities um, is fun and exciting. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I will move on to some more, some some fun fun questions. Um, so, what do you uh, do? You have any um, hobby hobbies or stuff you do on your? on your free, 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 free time? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> you know, I love poetry. I love creative Ooh, writing. I always cool. have. You know, when I was growing up, I read a lot. I was an avid reader and um, I like, when I was in college, actually, I was the editor of a literary um, magazine. And I started really taking myself more, really taking creative writing more seriously um, about 10 year years ago. So I joined a group, it's called uh, Spring Fed Arts. It's a local uh, creative writing organization, um, but anyone can join it. And I started taking poetry workshops and really just fell in love with the written word I always have. So I write poetry, um, I've, had, I've had a couple of poems published. I like to read poetry, but I guess creative writing is really one um, hobby that I have. Let's see, I love 80s music. I'm a child of the 80s. Oh. <laughs> I love 80s music. I love 80s television shows. And I really love listening to country music. Oh. <laughs> it speaks to my soul. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a poet I really like called uh, Rupi Kaur. Have you heard of her? Oh, you know what? I think I have that book. This, is, oh. it, is that the author of Milk and Honey? Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> oh, I have that. Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> I have that book. Yes. Yeah. Um, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. Milk, yeah, that, that's Milk and Honey is a really great book. Yeah, it's her, her, her poetry is really, it's really different from other poetry I've read. It's really, she writes with like short, short lines. Like each line is very short. I mean, short and the poems themselves are very short but they're very they're very like uh, they're very to the to, to the point I think and and she she uses um and and I and I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of her of her word word choices like I, she doesn't really seem to use like she doesn't I don't think she uses like like anything like fan like fancy words. I don't think she really has to use fancy words, but but still she has she 
uh, she has really great word choice, uh, I think, for her poems. <laughs> yeah, you know, I love a good short lyric poem. And, yeah. you know, I don't think you don't, you have you don't have to use a fancy word. You know, yeah. poetry, it's all about, you know, it's 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 oh, my goodness. It's a it's a linguistic <laughs> form of art. It's a yeah. it, it's a visual art, but it's a linguistic art. And it's just about, you know, taking those words on a page and just arranging them in a way that creates some sort of spark in the reader. I just yeah. love that. And I love how you can say something that you can say so much in such a small, tiny space. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And her poetry is so, um, it's very vulnerable. It's very honest. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very, um, yeah, I think those are the words I would say. Very honest and very vulnerable. Um, well, yeah, yeah, Milk and Honey, she's, I, I guess the whole point of the book is like, from, from the f- female, female, per, per, f- female per, per perspective, and uh, a lot of the poems are, about like like past past uh, past relationships with uh, men, I I I, I think I, I, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure, but yeah, it's but the, the whole point of the book is like the, the 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 female 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 perspective, and and yeah, that that's a really good that's a really good word to describe. Like yeah, all, all her poems are like very very vulnerable and tr- transparent. Uh, yeah, and you know, <laughs> really I think good. I'll say that you know, poetry. I think all of poetry to some degree you know, it, there's vulnerability because you're opening your soul, you're opening yourself up um, in some ways. But I do think that everybody, you know, poetry, I, th- th- these are not my, my words, um, but poetry, I think Billy Collins, um, who's a poet said that poetry, um, I, hope I, hope, I hope I'm getting this right, but poetry is a history of the human heart. You know, (laughs) everybody who's walking around, you know, has some obsession. Everyone has something that they care about, something that they're passionate about. And so for some people, people who are poets, we feel the need to put that down in writing to leave a legacy, if you will, for others. (laughs) And so I guess I'm one of those people who I'm very observant. I've always been a very observant person. And I always notice details to the point where you know I have to write them down and that's kind of how it starts for me yeah I can uh, go on about poetry <laughs> you really, you really yeah. open up a box <laughs> yeah uh which which uh, other uh, poets are, are, are you in, into into uh, reading oh let's say I like Billy Collins I like um Paul Lawrence Dunbar um, we were, he wrote, we wear the mask. I like, um, Ted Kuzer. Oh. <laughs> um, I like Mark Strand. Um, I like, um, Stephen Dunn. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I could go on and on about that too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 I, like, I like a wide variety of poets. Uh, Ada Lamone. Ada Lamone is a really good poet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Oh okay. Um, okay. Then do do you have any do 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 you do anything else besides uh, writing and reading uh, poetry and cr- creative writing? <laughs> um, let's see. I think um, I'm a couch potato. <laughs> I love you know you know actually, what's a really fun experience for me is just being able to have nothing to do. Oh, <laughs> I just wake up and say, what do I feel like doing today? You know, I'm just on the couch. And I'm flipping channels, 
and I have nothing to do. I have nothing, no worries. Yeah. So, nothing on the agenda, nothing on the to-do list. <laughs> That's a nice day for me. I love um, going on walks. I live in Midtown uh, uh, Detroit, which is a really nice area. And I like to just, you know, walk around and take in what's around me. So um, I like, I'm a foodie. I love going to a good restaurant. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm not a good cook, but I do like mm-hmm. to try out recipes too. Oh, um, yeah, I, actually, uh, there's, there's something I should ask r- r- regarding um, t- teaching, t- teaching classes. So, you know, like teaching a class on the very first day, do you, do you, do you uh, tell the class that, 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 that you have a, st- st- a st- stutter? I do. Uh, and I do it because I think it, um, I think, I, you know, on the first, it doesn't matter what class it is. I always share a little bit of my story because I want the students just to know. I always like to just give the students a little bit of background about me and why I came oh, yeah. into the field. So I, I definitely do it for that reason. But yeah, I, I tell my students on the first day of class that I am, uh, a person who stutters, and I give them a little bit about my journey. So I like to give that little personal uh, insight because um, I think it's important for establishing a nice connection between me and the students. Oh yeah, that that actually sounds like a really good way to tell people that you stutter. Yeah, because I I I I've been I've been thinking I've been thinking about how, how I can tell. A group, a group of people, like a class that have a stutter, it seems scary. But but if you if you uh, tell it as a like a like a story, like you know, I'm 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 going to spend a couple of minutes just talking about my life, and then yeah, that, that's actually a really good way to and then and then say like, oh, I uh, I I'm also so I'm also someone who has a stutter too, and telling your life as like a little short story, and also saying that you have a stutter, I think that's a good way to to do it. Yeah, to, to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, so okay, uh, so sp- 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 speaking of speaking of you know like being being a being a couch 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 potato, but then do you, do you have any um, favorite um, uh, films or TV shows? Oh, let's see. Okay, so you know I love I love eighties anything eighties. So there's a um, I have a um, I have the antenna. TV channel and it shows a lot of vintage uh, shows. So you know, if you were around in the '80s, you probably know these shows. If you were not around in the '80s, you probably have to go to YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> some of my favorite shows from that era are uh, I like um, "Give Me a Break" with Nell C- C- Carter. I like "Two Two Seven." Again, though, these are shows you'll, you'll have to Google, Google if you don't know what they are. I like uh, "Different Strokes." Oh. Um, <laughs> And I like, oh, The Golden Girls. I love oh. The Golden Girls, you know. Those oh. are my favorite shows from the 80s. You know, now I think I like, um, I like The Big Brother reality show. Please don't throw the lemons at me. <laughs> I love The Big Brother reality show that comes on every summer. I've watched it every season since it first started oh. in 2000. So oh. I like that show. Um, the Cooking Channel, um, any oh, of those shows. I like uh, diners, drive-ins. No, sorry. Oh, really? yeah, right. <laughs> diners, drive-ins, yeah. dives. Yeah, with Guy Ferrari. I love that. Oh, show. yeah. <laughs> that's an awesome show. That would, that's, would be a nice job to have, to be able to drive around <laughs> and try different entrees. 
Yeah, that kind of reminds me. There's a, there's a, there's a comic, there's a comic named uh, Shane 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 Torres T O R R E S T O R R E T O R R E S, and he has a joke about Guy Fieri. He's saying people people seem to not like Guy. I don't know. He's saying like, uh, why is it? He's like, could anybody explain to me why people hate Guy Fieri? I don't know. I I, I guess I, I guess there's people who because I guess you know Guy Fieri his his hair is blonde and he he I don't know maybe maybe he's always dressed very very casual and he always has sunglasses sunglasses behind his head. I don't know. I, I guess some people don't like him for some reason, but that's actually a really funny bit. So if you go if you go to YouTube and look up Shane Torres and then Guy Fieri, it's a very funny bit. Oh, awesome! I'll do that. <laughs> yeah it's very funny um he was comparing <laughs> he was um well uh, it's, it's kind of sad now but he was uh, during the bit i i his bit was probably before uh uh anthony bourdain uh died well bourdain died like in 2018 i think um uh but he was like saying like uh guy fieri is like the kind of guy you would if you were like in war he's the kind of guy you would be in this would want to be in the same foxhole foxhole with whereas anthony bourdain seems like the guy who would like like kick a kick a dog or something but yeah uh-huh. <laughs> um um yeah but anyway yeah that, that uh yeah it's a funny bit that he did but <laughs> so then do, do you have any do you happen to have any favorite uh uh, fil- uh films or TV show? I mean, uh, yeah, movies or yeah, you know, I guess a wide for I a, a, a wide range of things. Um, I guess I, I can give you some of my favorite movies, but these are probably older movies though. Um, but some of my favorite movies are um, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. So oh. I think the original, it's a musical. It was, the original was in 1967, but I think they remade it into a stage play. But I can watch that over and over and over again and you never get tired of it. So I like that one. I like um, A Raisin in for the Sun. Oh, yeah. So with uh, Sidney Poitier, uh, that was in 1960 or 1961, I believe. That's one of my favorite movies. Um, the Color Purple is a favorite movie of mine right um oh goodness a wide range of things i like um i'm sure i'm forgetting something that uh the the hours that oh was right Bo kitman and julianne moore and right. uh, Street. i like that one um moonlight oh yeah yeah Moonlight. that oh yeah that's that's a more recent movie yeah that was right good. right right so you know a, a wide range of movies i would say yeah, Moonlight. Um, Moonlight. I Moonlight. My favorite part was was the third part with the third act. Um, the I I felt that the, the guy or I, the main guy, right? The 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 main guy. I thought he did a really good job because he's you know in the third act he's like he looks like this tough guy. You know he's like uh, has, he's he's he looks like someone you wouldn't want to mess with. Uh, but then at the same time, if he I thought I thought he did a really good job with his acting like yeah. at the same time like uh just uh looking at his his eyes his eyes look very like v- vulnerable to me it's like he's still like that that same kid yeah i don't know yeah that that, that was my favorite part of the movie <laughs> yeah that yeah. movie won the academy award too 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, that was the year they they announced they announced La La Land as the winner. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. It's like uh, oops. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, keep it changing. I, I also forgot to mention that you know now I'm really you know I have all kinds of streaming services now. You know, as a result of just being home. You know, I have Netflix. Oh, right. Now I have Hulu and I have Apple TV Plus and Discovery Plus. I'm like, oh my goodness, I have all these streaming services. So um, I'm on those a lot too. And I also forgot to mention Married with Children. That oh, was a wow. Show, so if you don't know that show, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And also, do you. Um, well, I usually ask your favorite bands, but your favorite your favorite bands are probably from the eighties, right? <laughs> oh goodness, I have to think about that a little bit. Um, yeah, most I like eighties groups. Um, I like country music. I also like oh, right, right, um, yeah. I like <laughs> Motown music too. So anything oh, yeah. Motown, country, or eighties is probably going to be on my list. Um, oh. I can't really think of a favorite band at the moment, but. I would probably say those three genres of music are what I like. And a little bit of R&B, too. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so, the, so the music, music question and movie question are, are usually, usually, my, usually my last questions. Um, I was wondering, is there, is there, is there anything, is there anything you, you would like to, like to talk about or? anything i don't know on your mind or anything yeah you know i think i i'm glad i enjoyed this you know i've never really been asked questions about um my favorite music, yeah, favorite music. TV shows, you know or, li or, or likes i i enjoyed this a lot cool. um, yeah um this was this was really great to be able to i guess uh to talk about talk about these other interests um of, of mine so thank you so much for that okay so um Okay, then. So, for 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 like for like the your your, your for your final uh, final words, are there any final final words you would like or you would like to say to the to the podcast uh, listeners, like about um, about about stuttering and I don't, or how to handle your st stutter? You know, I will just say um, that you are okay. And I will say that um, you are okay and you can do it. And I think that's what I'll say, you know. Um, you know, life is meant to be in Take advantage of every opportunity that you can. Never, never let anyone tell you that you can't. So you right. are okay just as you are because you are a person who stutters. And anything that you decide to do, about your stuttering should always be your choice. Make it be your choice. Yeah, actually, uh, one time I saw on YouTube, like um, uh, Ed Ed Sheeran, um, Ed Sheeran spoke at um, at uh, a a AIS, or yeah, and then he said he was talking to the kids. He said just just keep doing what you're into. You know, like if you're into music, just keep. <laughs> just keep doing your music if you're into i don't know sports just keep doing that and yeah just keep doing what you like and and um life will work out um so ed I, ed was saying i ed was probably just saying like 
um, you know, so, so, so sometimes people with a stutter think, think uh, like think, think about their stutter like so much, but maybe it's, sometimes it's like healthy to just to just try to just just tr just keep trying to pursue your your main your your main goals and things you like to do and yeah think think think, think things will probably work, work out things will probably be, be be good you know later on in life absolutely <laughs> pretty, pretty good yeah, yeah. <laughs> always always follow your heart and life will work out on your behalf i love that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um okay uh so yeah that's uh, that that would probably be the end of this uh this uh, podcast so um <laughs> thanks very thanks very much uh derek thank you so on. much for having me thank you so much thank you for listening to the stutter block party podcast if you're interested in attending stutter block party go to linktree forward slash stutter block party to register that's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash stutter block party we'll see you soon and happy stuttering <laughs>